0: Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton. And your host. I'm joined today by Terry Call, PhD. She is the Gladys McKay, Richter Endowed Chair of Nursing at Carroll University in Wisconsin. She is in her fourth position overseeing nursing education programs. And I'm so excited to have you here today, Terry. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate it. So the U.S. is facing the largest nursing shortage of all time. The shortage started around 2012, and we can thank COVID for exacerbating the problem. What does that mean for colleges with nursing programs such as RN and BSN programs? Historically, nursing programs have been an anchor for colleges, providing valuable community service, plus enjoying a steady stream of students and revenue. However, for the first time in 20 years, the American Association of Colleges of Nursing has reported this year a 1.4% drop in students enrolled in RN programs. This is sure to worsen the national nursing shortage. That's a huge problem for our larger society, especially as our society starts to age. So Terry is here today to help provide the context for the problem and kind of share with us how higher ed might be able to navigate some of these nursing programs by using efficient operations and smart budgeting strategies. So Terry, let's start with your background. You actually didn't start out as a nursing educator or even nursing administrator. You started in the trenches. You were a nurse. Tell us a little bit about your journey.
1: Yeah. Thank you again for allowing me to do this with you. I really appreciate it. And just so everyone understands, this is my, my history, my background and my opinions of what I'm going to be talking about. But you're right. I started out as a nurse. Many, many years ago, working at the bedside, went on to become a nurse practitioner, which I thought was going to be my career. That was what I was really interested in doing. And shortly into that career, I actually got a call from a university saying, hey, would you like to come and help us start a nurse practitioner program? And at first I was like, what? (laughs) I just got out myself. (laughs) And so I really thought long and hard about it and just thought that was probably a calling that was coming to me for a reason. that door was opening and I took the leap and have stayed in higher ed ever since. However, I keep my feet in both camps. I still work as a nurse practitioner as well as an administrator of nursing education programs. So, yeah, so that's where I started. And so I feel like I always want to be valid what I do with students in the classroom. I want to make sure that they understand I know what it's like to be out there, and which is why I continue in practice when I do this.
0: I think that's so
1: important
0: for faculty, especially with skills-based disciplines, to stay active and current in their field. I mean, especially in healthcare. I mean, I'll bet nothing's like what it was when you started, and it's so important for our students to be able to pass down the knowledge that you're gaining while you're working in the field. And so now you oversee several undergraduate and graduate nursing programs at Carroll University, Tell me, what are you seeing right now with respect to enrollment and student trends? In other words, tell us about that current state of affairs in nursing education.
1: Well, as you mentioned, there definitely is a shortage of nurses, and we are continuously working on how to improve that pool of nurses and certainly to attract more people into the profession. I think we're starting to see an uptick after COVID, which I'm really pleased with, at least at Carroll. And I think people are still interested in becoming nurses. And we want to make that an attractive field. I think when what makes nursing such an attractive field, I think for so many people, and has continued to be the anchor at most institutions, is because it's one of the healthcare professions that you can actually enter and not spend your whole life becoming that. You can enter and be able to enter into the profession after two years, four years, five years, six years, whatever path you take. So there's so many different paths to becoming a nurse. And so when you offer those types of programs, students can come and see that they can get out there, start making some money, but continue on with their education. So we provide those pathways too to them. So I think that's what makes it attractive for many students. The return on their investment is much bigger and quicker for them to get into the profession and work. Well, that's really interesting to hear
0: you say that you've actually had an uptick in enrollment at Carroll University for Nursing because the larger healthcare field has really seen a loss and taken a hit. I think we're all a little bit more aware of how hard nursing and healthcare, other healthcare programs are, right, to be in that kind of a service-based industry. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. Do you think prospective students are just
1: more aware of what they can do? and Or tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, we did see a decrease as everyone else did as well. And obviously, because of our shortage of nurse educators as well, that's the other piece of this. We can only fill our classroom so far without having enough faculty to work with them, and especially in the clinical arenas. But now that COVID seems to be passing and people are starting to open the doors, we are seeing more people interested. And I think COVID did have some impact on, I think, the image of nursing and that it was so hard. But I think for some students, they're like, you know, I want to be that. I want to do that. I really want to go in and help people. Look at what nurses did during COVID. They truly were the heroes. Amen. I think that is really what stuck out to a lot of people that were looking into our profession. So I think we're starting to see people that are non traditional come back to want to become a nurse after they've been in a different field, realizing I want to do that too. I think making a difference in people's lives, it's also a very flexible position. And, you know, it is very science based. You got to really understand your sciences, but also it's an art of caring for other people. So I think people really are seeing the nursing profession to be. A a really great career for many of them.
0: Well, that's great to hear. And you brought up the shortage of nursing faculty and the American Association of Colleges of Nursing. They're saying, hey, the shortage of nursing faculty is really one of the key reasons impacting the supply Mm -hmm. of new nurses. Tell me about the nursing educator pipeline. Like, what are you seeing? Are you having trouble finding qualified, caring, willing to take this paycheck kind of nursing educators
1: out there? Yeah, nursing education is a difficult profession. I think it does take dedicated people who want to come back and give back and help the next generation of nurses learn. It is not as lucrative as working in the healthcare industry. Certainly, they can probably make more money working at the bedside. I think a lot of people see it as a way that they can give back and really share their wisdom that they have with other nurses and They've seen nursing students coming out and they know what they need and they want to come into the classroom or into the clinical setting and help them learn. But we've been very fortunate here in the state of Wisconsin for the second year in a row. We've been able to garner five million the first year, 10 million this year to help fund the nurse educators to go back to school. The nurses who want to go back to school to become nurse educators can be funded at either master's level or a PhD level to become nurse educators. So that can be a full ride for many of the nurses who are interested in this. So that really helps make sometimes the decision that nurses who really wanted to become nurse educators, but maybe financially couldn't do that or make that leap. This is really making it possible for them. So we're very fortunate for that monies that's coming. And that's really unique to the state of Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, that influx of cash will be just that burst. Like you said, it can take somebody who maybe had the heart for it, the motivation for it, but not necessarily the finances, right? right? And you're essentially having to stop your life to take on a really rigorous program. Nursing isn't the type of program you can just maybe do on a Saturday morning when you're Mm -hmm. online, right? It's a real commitment. Okay, so the larger industry of healthcare, it's experienced its fair share of change, turmoil, transition, technological advances, some great, but of course it's change, right? Have you seen a trickle-down effect from healthcare settings to universities In other words, do the problems that we're seeing or the transitions in healthcare settings affects what you do and how you're teaching and
1: expecting the students to learn? Absolutely. We partner with our healthcare systems all the time. We cannot educate the next generation nurses without our healthcare systems. So their problems are our problems, our problems are their problems. We work together very collaboratively to try to address those issues. They're in dire need of nurses, but they also want really qualified nurses. And so we work together really strongly to try to build the pathway. They help us and inform us of what kind of things they need from our nurses. We couldn't function without that information. And they're trying desperately to work with us in lots of various ways to increase students' interest in becoming nurses or prospective students, but also for their nurses that are working in their systems to want to come back to school and up their educational level. So I think there is definitely issues that they have related to staffing, but we're trying to help them in many ways building new models of clinical education that we can, in particular, we're working with a couple of organizations on designated educational units where they identify a couple of units in their hospital where they can be dedicated to education of the next generation of nurses. Their staff become the, helping an extension of our faculty and helping to educate. The students are working with real nurses, which is always exciting. But the give back to them is that these students then become acclimated to their institution and want to stay there once they graduate, which is really what they want, is that pipeline of nurses coming in. So we're working together really collaboratively because we can't do it without each other. It takes both of us.
0: That sounds like a really innovative way to kind of have like a mutual win yep. between both the higher ed university, as well as your healthcare
1: partner. So tell me, how is that different though than a clinical? So in a clinical situation for our currently in the state, it's a one to eight ratio, one faculty to eight students. And actually that number has been decreasing too because of the lack of staffing in the institutions. They can't take as many students. So we're kind of at a one to six for some of these institutions, which is really difficult. That means we have to have a faculty that's qualified, master's prepared, to taking those students into the institution, which is work that's been a model for years for nursing education. This new model really helps us to identify staff nurses that are out there that are interested in education that really wanna help that next student and help mentor them to become more educated themselves in that process and share their wisdom and help see the aha lights come on with these students. And so we can have a faculty supervising more than one group of students this way sort of spreading out the responsibility, but also helping to educate the staff nurses. It's a win for the staff nurse as well. I think that their ability to increase and share their knowledge, but also in their career ladder, they do get some support for career ladders. Some of them even get paid extra for taking on a mentor of a student, which is important for them. So I think we value everybody in the process. We're not using anyone. It's all of us working together. So it's a great model. And actually the students feel At least students have told me, they feel like they belong on that unit. They're no longer an outsider coming onto that unit, which is really valuable. I mean, when you feel wanted and valued, you want to stay there. And so that helps them to want to stay at that institution to work. So it's been a really win-win. Yeah, that's great to
0: hear about these innovative models and like kind of reinventing, like how are we going to do this and how are we going to do this even better, like turning this challenge into an opportunity. And I'm imagining that the students feel like they belong on several levels. They feel like they belong to the organization itself Mm -hmm. as well as the larger field when they have some of these more closer mentorships and relationships. All right, you did a great job of setting up sort of the wider context and kind of what's the status of affairs. Tell me a little bit more as we turn to the economics of nursing education. Tell me about how you, within your nursing programs, how do you structure budget and operations? Talk about it from the big picture and then give us maybe a couple of specifics.
1: Well, I've always worked in tuition-driven institutions, so it is important that we have students coming in to help pay the tuition. Nursing education is not cheap. It's very expensive and primarily because we actually are, like you've said, a skill based, very practice oriented. We have had, we've built many simulation units, as probably people have heard and understand. Those are labs where students actually go in and get to practice the professional skills on our mannequins. They are real life looking mannequins, by the way.
0: Oh, yes. I've walked past them in the hallways at my own (laughs) university and every time I've walked past them thousands of times every time I have to do a
1: double take. Yes, we have birthing ones, we have pediatric, we have geriatric, they're real life looking. And what's a beauty of that is that it gives the students the confidence when they go into a real setting with a real patient, the ability to feel like they know something going in there and not just blindly having to go in. So we can work out all kinds of scenarios in that simulated area. So it's a huge part of the education but a very expensive part of the education. A mannequin itself, one mannequin can cost 150 to 200 thousand dollars. Oh, wow! And that doesn't include the maintenance on those. So it can be a very, very expensive endeavor for our educational. Okay, I just have to ask, what is maintenance on a mannequin? They have to come out and actually maintain them, like an equipment. Like any equipment you oh. have, they have to maintain them. I did not if know that. If they break, because we use them so much, they have to come in and help us to fix them. So there's a lot of moving parts to these mannequins, because they blink eyes, they heart beat. I mean, they are like real, you know? So yes, they have a health maintenance too. <laughs> that is that ironic? Need. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just makes sense. So that alone, the maintenance is... Very expensive. Okay,
0: so simulation labs, the maintenance yes. of the equipment
1: inside yep. of the labs. What about faculty? Are they another huge piece of your budget? Very much so. Probably one of the larger pieces of our budget when you think about all of the benefits and everything of a full time faculty. We have several full time faculty, which I think any institution has to have. You have to have that they are responsible for the curriculum and all of the education that's going on, and they have to be a part of that and they have to be committed to it as a full time. But we also use a lot of adjunct faculty. Because we do need people who are clinically astute and able to take our students into the clinical arenas. And so we do hire several adjunct faculty, and th- that can be a huge budget for any institution. Our nursing faculty
0: adjuncts. Paid at a higher rate than, say, an adjunct in the humanities, say, a history adjunct? Is there a different pay rate for them?
1: I would anticipate there would have to be because of the amount of money that a nurse makes versus someone in that field. So in order to attract them to our institution to want to do this work, you do have to pay them a market value that is probably higher than that. I don't know the cost of um, arts and science faculty, but definitely- It's real low, Terry. Let me assure you- Okay, I would assume. But for health professions and the health profession field, all of health profession programs, adjunct faculty come at a higher cost. So those are some of the big direct costs that you talked about. Tell me a little bit
0: about the indirect costs. I know that nursing, as it should be, is kind of heavily regulated. You've got accreditation, you've got state regulations, you've got nursing regulations. Tell me about some of those indirect costs that are maybe a little bit squishy to budget for, but that they are there. Tell me about like where human capital time might go. Like Terry's got to spend. 40 hours on this accreditation report. And just tell me about that. Walk me through some of those yeah. things that are maybe
1: kind of invisible almost within the budget itself. Yeah, I think a governance of a nursing program is huge. And that means it's distributed amongst all of the faculty to govern this unit of nursing. But within that unit of nursing, as it is with all health profession programs, they are highly accredited. And you have to be spending a lot of time on accreditation, which you should. Accreditation means it's quality, quality. Meaning you're meeting the standards, that you're graduating students who meet the standards of the industry, that they're meeting our legal and ethical policies. So it's an important piece of our program, but it does take a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a lot of... Money because our accreditation costs money, not only for the accreditation initially, but to maintain that accreditation and the membership in those organizations you have to pay for along. So that all has to be figured in. The state of Wisconsin accepts the accreditation document as approval that the program is quality. We are regulated by them; we're approved as a department by them, but they will accept the accreditation for that purpose of quality for the citizens of Wisconsin. So important that we have. That. For accreditation, we do a lot of that work. I do a lot of that work, actually, along with my other lead faculty. But we also have indirect costs if we've got to keep our staff current so we spend a lot of time and a lot of money on continuing education for them and that's time also for them that they have to commit to that many of my faculty are certified so they have to maintain their certifications that means extra continuous in education for them so we have to fund that as well to keep a program that's a quality program and for students we have a lot of expenses to make sure that they're getting the needs and the resources that they need to be successful in the programs So we pay our share of academic support and everything else that goes into that.
0: Do you foresee AI playing a role in reducing or mitigating some of these higher costs, maybe the simulation labs or training and upskilling of faculty? Do you see that? I mean, if you have a crystal ball, pull that out
1: at this time. We've talked a lot about that. That (laughs) is huge right now in higher ed. And I think that there is a place for AI. I think it could be. There's been discussions down the road of uh, possibly even not needing as much of the simulated mannequins that we've had with AI. I'm not sure we're there yet. I don't think that our faculty are there yet to say we're going to get rid of that. But I can see the value of that down the road I don't know that we're quite there yet but yeah definitely I don't think that it'll ever take the place of our faculty I think that human touch and human beings are very important in nursing of all <laughs> professions as they've talked about putting robots at the bedsides it's like could you imagine an empathetic robot I think there is a definitely a problem when you start thinking about I replacing think,
0: humans I think as we're talking about this there's somebody who listening who's like I've just got a new idea for a business venture I am going to make an empathetic nursing <laughs> empathetic. Empathetic nursing robot that, you know, who knows? I mean, sure you could. <laughs> great idea. Somebody out yeah, there, please that's run with right, us. That's right. Okay. So, I am sure that like most schools out there, we are all sort of thinking about tightening the belt or what can we do a little bit better? How do you tighten the belt in nursing education? So if the pinch is on, maybe declining enrollment overall, maybe your programs are okay, but maybe the university is sort of in a worse place. And so everyone's kind of taking a hit. Tell me about what tightening the belt in your nursing programs or or general advice could be.
1: Well, I think that we've always been very conscientious of our stewardship. That's one of our ethos at our institution. Stewardship is huge. And I think that means we do all have to be cognizant that it is a business. It does cost money. We can't just be spending money like it's coming to us forever. So I think every time we make a decision related to something that we want, that's going to cost or cost the students or cost the faculty or to cost whoever it is, Everyone has to come with the idea of, what's the ripple effect of that? What is that going to cost everybody? And if we can come up and justify that effect, that it is important and what it brings, because if it definitely improves our education... We're not going to skimp on that. We want to make sure we're giving a quality education to the students. Yes, we are very good stewards of the money, but I don't think that we penny pinch anything. We make sure that the students are getting the quality education. We will certainly shop around for the things that we need to make sure that they're reasonable and certainly want to make sure that we're keeping that cost as low as we can, but not at the expense of a quality education. Yeah,
0: I appreciate that very much. I just know that sometimes we get edicts. Right, they say we know you're already doing quality. We want you to continue doing the same quality, for but but for with less resources. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so we yeah. sometimes hear that. Yeah. Tell me about fundraising. Is there a role for fundraising? You did talk about state funding, which is great, but. Uh, is fundraising and nursing education a lucrative
1: or fruitful endeavor? We do a lot of grant writing. That's what we look for is any grants that would help support the agenda or strategic plans that we have in place. In particular, we've worked a lot with increasing diversity among healthcare workforce because it is a huge problem in our state and throughout the country. And so we've been able to do some grant writing related to that to get more funding for students that may need additional support financially to make it through the programs or for equipment if we want new equipment in our lab and our simulation we've had generous donors that have given us monies to help support those particular things so most of our fundraising that way is done with grants we also have a fundraising department obviously and we're certainly part of that if they request us to be a part of it there's a, somebody donor who would like to invest in nursing we are all for that and certainly we we'll speak to them Any day of the week. (laughs) That's (laughs) a given. Yes, that is a given. (laughs) Love to have a conversation. Love to talk about our program because we're very, very proud of it. You know, so of course, why wouldn't we talk about it, right? So that's kind of the work that we do and I do in my position.
0: So it's more like you prioritize grants and fundraising is a, a lovely bonus. Do you see that donors are more apt to give to tangible things? You mentioned equipment. Is that something or scholarships maybe? Is there any
1: other things that donors tend to like to give to? Yeah, I think it's really... Most of them I have seen have been more focused on students and wanting to give scholarships and helping people to be able to access healthcare or healthcare education. And that's a costly adventure for so many. So we do need to think about that. That's been kind of more of what we've been able to secure, but also equipment. We've been able to do that with our labs and things that we need in the classroom to help students to learn. So that's been funded by some of our donors, but that's primarily they look at the I think more along the student, how that could be impacted, helping them to get through their education.
0: And that makes so much sense, right? Because the scholarship gives back for years, Years. right? So you start, it's a lot of money upfront, right? I I don't know what your minimum is, but let's say it's like 25,000 or 50,000 to start the scholarship, to start yielding, you know, money back for the student scholarships, but it grows and it stays there. And you've got until infinity, right? Right. (laughs) To fund something. And so the impact lives on. And I I could see donors really appreciating that part of it. Okay, imagine we have some listeners And they don't yet have a nursing program on their campus, but they're thinking about starting one. What kind of high level recommendations would you make with respect to business operations and maybe even which program to pursue now? Like what makes sense? in this day and age, in 2023, for someone to do a startup nursing
1: program? Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) Depending on where you're located, I think that's really important to note, is to do the work that you need to do up front as to what are the programs out there. What are the things that are needed? Go have conversations with the health systems. Go get that partnerships going, those relationships going, to see what's available, what's needed. Because I think if you can find that niche that's what you're looking for. And I think a lot of them are probably starting more. The undergraduate education is expensive. And so maybe looking at more the graduate program level or the RN to BSM program, which is a transition program from being an associate degree nurse to a bachelor's degree and on to a master's degree. They have been declining in enrollments, mainly because I think COVID had an impact on that. The health systems who had been promoting their nurse. Nurses to move forward in their education, kind of pulled back some once they were desperate for nurses in their institutions. But I think that's changing. And I think nurses are going to start to see a need to go back and want to, edu- you know, further their own education, to further their own career goals that they have. So I think I'd be looking at those things in that environment, whatever. In a local community that they're in, they need to have those conversations with what's the need in that community and really zero in on that need. And then I think it really would be helpful to have those partnerships with the health systems to share some of that cost. I think cost sharing is really important. If they're going to benefit from the students, if we're going to benefit from enrollment, let's work together and try to share some of those costs. Maybe there's some sharing of faculty that we could do, sharing of sites, certainly sharing of simulation units, because there's so expensive. Maybe we could do that together. So I think if I were thinking about starting one, not the only program at an institution, I have started many programs, I think I would be doing that work first.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is it's going to be very individual-based. It's going to be partly dictated by your local community. So what is needed there? And there's no one size fits all. So it's not like you can say, Hey, everyone should start a BSN of whatever with this particular concentration. And I also heard you say, don't go into the approval process in a school thinking you know. Rather, you're going to need to pull back and first do the whole market landscape plus external partnerships solidified based on what your local community is informing the next program. And so don't say, I think we should do it this way, but rather tell us what you need first. You said that very well. All right. All right. I was just recapping your beautiful (laughs) words. Okay. So do you have any high-level recommendations beyond that in terms of like business and operations? So let's say you're going forward with a program. How do you structure it so that you're lean and mean, but still have high quality? Like, where do you put your money first? Where do you prioritize the budget?
1: Yeah, I think Definitely, you have to have a strong faculty. So you do need to figure that out first. I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle. I look at it as a puzzle. And having qualified faculty and people there to help direct you, nursing faculty, who've been... Doing education for a while would be really helpful. So having that resource, a few of those folks who know nursing and know nursing education can be really beneficial to that formula that you're trying to put together. But then just really investing in your relationships, investing in that homework that you need to do before starting the program, I think is really key. But doing it with, I think, nursing at the table, because sometimes programs have been started without the nursing voice. And I think in order to speak the language, you have to be part of that profession. So as long as the nursing is at the table, not that they're the end-all be-all, but definitely I think that their voice is really important. So I would just make sure to have some really qualified nursing people at the table. Any idea how much it might cost
0: to start a program? Let's go with undergraduate, traditional. Someone said, hey, Terry, I've got a whole lot of money that I'd love to give you tell me how much you need to start a program.
1: You know, and it would depend on the goals of what are you looking to accomplish? Is it going to be a small program that you want to start? And you could do that. You start small, right? Make sure it meets your mission and what your vision is of your institution. It always should line with that. If it's a smaller program, probably starting, a lot of programs will do this. They will start to get their feet in the water with an RN to BSM program. Less expensive. They're already educated as and licensed as nurses coming back to fulfill the rest of the education needed for a bachelor's degree. You probably have the resources on your campus right now to be able to do that work with just a few additional nursing courses. So that's probably not the worst way to start and certainly the least expensive way to begin. And you could start with one lab, one small. I mean, I've been in programs where they've had, you know, one mannequin. Sometimes they're in the closet. <laughs> we got to pull them out to set them up because they don't even have a room. I've been in institutions like that. So we have started at the bare bones sometimes, but I don't know that you're going to really attract students. Students are pretty astute consumers today. They come to look and see what you have to offer them. And I will tell you what what's most programs are the simulated labs. When they look like hospitals, they look like the institutions they're going to be working in. Students come. So you're going to have to invest if you really want people to come. It has to look like you have a quality program. And that costs money. Like I said, one simulated program mannequin is $100,000 to $150,000. So there you already have that amount of money. Faculty, you're probably looking at up close to 100000 or more for a faculty, your 120000 with their benefits and everything. So it's going to add up quickly. It will add up ver- and all your accreditation, which is in the thousands of dollars that you have to pay for that just to get your program up and accredited. So and you have to have all those facilities in place. Oh. So then maybe this is where those
0: cost-sharing strategies yes. really come in handy is saying, hey, maybe we could start a bit small, get our feet wet, kind of get some of the infrastructure in place. But we're working really closely with a local healthcare partner. We are sharing faculty, we're sharing maybe a lab site or clinical site. And so there is a bit of partnership, outsourcing, creativity that really would be probably beneficial overall. And then also not really shortchanging it too much. So your on-campus facilities, what Whatever those are do have to look like something or there's yes. no prospective students because yes. I agree yeah. students are way more discerning. <laughs> they can look they can go with a few yep. clicks of their Internet buttons and they're going to see the lab facilities of other places. Everyone's got their beautiful facilities now video tutorials and all right. that. And so, yeah, they're v- much more discerning. Yeah.
1: And I think the partnership is hugely important and sharing of those things are really important. It's sort of full circle for nursing. Years, years, years ago, we've been without them for a while, the diploma nurses were affiliated with hospitals. We had one huge state that just closed not that long ago. And those were exactly, they had their own nursing school, their own pipeline. And so they were able to secure their own sites and have their own facilities. However, that does become quite costly for health systems. So I think that's one of the reasons they got away from that. But we're kind of back to that. We have to partner. It is all about partnership and having those conversations with each other and working together. We're all working for the same goal. And it's like, that's in all, so are all of the other nursing programs because we're all valuable in the community. We all have our own missions, our own visions. Students come to us for various reasons because they believe in our values or whatever we have. So we're all here and we're all important partners in this, but we are partners trying to all come to the same goal of providing quality care to the citizens of Wisconsin. So that's how I look at it anyways. Very well put.
0: Okay, well, as we're wrapping up here, Terry, You've been around the higher ed circles for a while now. What's your best advice for college leaders to operate a financially viable institution? It could be related to nursing education, but it could be related to something else. So your best advice for leaders who are thinking, how am I going to steer this ship in an
1: efficient way? Yeah, and I think that is a real challenge today for leaders of academic institutions is trying to move that little point away from the traditional way we've always done things to there might be other possibilities. And I think having people on board that can help see that vision, help push your vision as the leader of that institution, and be innovative, you know, we can think creatively and still keep quality. And not we're, throwing out, we're not throwing out all of the traditional things that we've done because institutions of higher ed have been around for you hundreds of years, certainly have brought value to everything. But I think as our economy is changing, as the student body is changing, what our industry needs are changing, we have to stay up with that to be valid and certainly valid to to the community. So as long as you're staying connected in communication with your community, with your industries that you're providing workers for and certainly thought workers. And that's what liberal arts institutions do, I think, is provide thought workers, which is what we need. We need people to think and think outside the box and think creatively about other ways of doing things. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean it's always right. I know it's comfortable for some, but push yourself a little. Just push that envelope to say we could try something different. So I'm all about disruptive innovative Innovation, trying new things. I'm not afraid of AI and things like that. I think that's just awesome. We'll find the value in it. I know there's always other words and negatives about it, but I think if we can keep our minds open to that and realizing we need to respond to the needs of our community and our industries, I think we can survive. We can all survive and still provide the quality education that our students demand, that our community demands, our creditors demand, that everyone demands. And we should want that too as a profession. Absolutely. I can hear your purpose-driven
0: mindset coming through, and that's just fantastic. And of course, you know, sums up nursing education very well. Terry, where could our listeners reach out if they want to hear more? Well, they're certainly
1: welcome to reach out to me if they'd like.
0: Yep. Are you on LinkedIn as well? I am on LinkedIn. Fantastic. We'll put that in our show notes. Great. Terry, thank you so much. Thank you. To support the cause of the Affordable College Experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business.